time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot be bad, great save by Timko. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. Good morning, happy Tuesday, everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful morning so far. This is Rintoul and Sermon. Yes, I am Karen Sermon, Scott Rintoul. Continuing week three of his vacation, I welcome back Jamie Dawn back to the program after a couple of days off. Jamie, how was your extended weekend slash mini vacation? It was fantastic. Got uh, got away, got to spend some time with the family. I mean, got to enjoy some cold weather, which sounds like a crazy thing right? to say in August <laughs> that you're desperate for colder weather, but it felt amazing. I could actually use a comforter when I was sleeping. That was an incredible <laughs> feeling. So yeah, it was good. Are you one of those people that needs to have like a sheet on them when I sleep? Like I'm not someone who can just fall asleep on the couch without a blanket on me. Or when I sleep at night, I like to have just the comfort of a, even a sheet just to know that it's kind yes. of bedtime. You no, know, like I, I can't some, just like, sleep like without some it. sort of weight over yes. here. I totally know what you mean. Yeah, that's, that's my preference for sure. And it's, it's been hard at times in Vancouver <laughs> yes. to, to have anything whatsoever. It's like, but I have to, it's been really difficult. So this weekend was a nice break from that. Yeah, I saw rain Saturday morning, and I'm like, what is this? It smells so fresh. I, I kind of like I this. Know. But then it's like, what do I do when it's raining in the summer? Like, <laughs> where do we go? What do we do? Uh, there is a heat wave sweeping across the Pacific again this week, and of course, in the mountain time zone as well. So uh, that whole you know comforter on you is probably not going to yeah, last gone. for this week going yeah. forward. Uh, Jamie, I just want to thank Joey Kenward for stepping in on Friday with me. We had a fantastic show because we were able to watch a certain team win gold and then just basically ride the show after that, just talking about yep. Canada winning gold. And then Bick Nazar yesterday joined me for the program. It was our blind date, Jamie, because actually Bick <laughs> and I had never met before. <laughs> Probably so never we, talked before even, really, right? Well, we talked on Sunday. Sure, Because sure, yeah. obviously he had to set up the show, and I'm like, I want to hear what his voice sounds like. Um, <laughs> but yes, it was... It, Greg said it went okay. I'm not sure if there's going to be a second date. We'll have to see how things go down the road and I guess how holidays plan out down yep. the road. But uh, it was great having those two. And I was actually in studio for the first time in 18 weeks on Friday and I went in studio yesterday. Uh, weird. I know you haven't been in studio for a long time. I mean, it's, been a, it's been a while since I've been in studio for sure. Yeah. Took a Took a tour, kind of had to be remembered, like, okay, here's the washroom, here's where the studio is, here's where the prep room is. It was, but it was nice. It's kind of like, okay, I know there is some benefits to working from home. One, the commute <laughs> is one yeah, thing, but it's, uh, it was just kind of nice. You, you kind of feel like you're a little bit at your job again type. I know yep. we work from home and we're kind of used to it from now, but there is something said about going into studio and being like, okay, I'm surrounded by signs for the station. I'm seeing my coworkers for the first time in forever. So it, uh, it was kind of nice, but uh, yeah, it was good to be back. But yeah, we're no, doing this from... It, it okay. is nice. I, I mean, I think, you know, maybe we'll see maybe kind of post Labor Day. I think we're mm -hmm. I return to the studio. I mean, knock on wood, you know, that case counts don't continue to skyrocket yeah. or whatever. But I hear you. I agree. I, I think it'll be when we are finally able to get the whole crew back in the studio. It's going to be a really good feeling. Yes, exactly. So uh, no technical difficulties yesterday, but the week is still <laughs> young. So I apologize, listeners, because there's probably going to be at least one over the next four days. We're going to talk about hockey, Jamie, because shockingly, 
it's August 10th, but we actually do have some hockey news to talk about as this show goes on. Stuff that's come down over the past 24 hours. But we got to talk about... Well, actually, no, before we get to this, I do want to ask you, because I, I, I got to give you your platform for this, because we had okay. talked about it leading up to Friday, and you had the day off, and you had said, no, it's my first day kind of of this mini vacation, I don't want to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and watch Team Canada play Sweden. Were you able to avoid spoilers before you watched it, or did you know when you got up and then rewatched it knowing the outcome? No, you know what happened is basically, like, as I was getting up, they were going into penalty kicks. Right. And so I, I, because I didn't really account for the extra time factor. Right. Right. Which is, I should have, because that's always a strong possibility, you know, in a knockout soccer game. So I didn't really account for that, but I saw on Twitter that it was going into penalties. And I, at that point I said, okay, well I can watch the rest of the match later, but I'm going to watch these penalties live. Right. Like I'm going to at least experience that part of it live, which I was able to do. That's awesome. And, you know, obviously, uh, emotional roller coaster, those penalty kicks. Yep. The fact that the captain for Sweden with her fifth kick, you know, had the chance to win it. And she does a, uh, uh, what's the Italian guy's name uh, from 1994? She kicks it over the bar. Abagio. Doesn't even, yes, Roberto Baggio. She uh, does one of his kicks and doesn't even hit the net and the devastation on her face. And after the match, and the fact that a 20 year old from Vancouver is the one who grew up wanting to become Christine Sinclair after Christine Sinclair scored that hat trick against the U.S. in 2012. She was 11 years old, and she's the one that steps up and gets Canada the gold medal. It was uh, it was pretty amazing to watch. It's wild, actually, just hearing you say it. And I, obviously, I, I'd read all about it, but just, you know, processing the idea that she was 11 years old in that right? 2012 game and the, the impact it must have had on her as a young soccer player. It's just, It's such an awesome story. It is a successful winter or winter summer Olympics for uh, Canada, obviously record breaking in numerous parts, tying record breaking with gold medals with seven. Uh, and now we're basically countdown on seven months away from the winter yeah, Olympics, which it's right is, around the corner. It is coming up I, really fast. It is. OK, but let's get to the biggest news in the world today because it's Lionel Messi watch. And you and I were on the show on Thursday when Messi and Barcelona and Barcelona came out with this announcement saying they were parting ways and they blame La Liga and you would wondered maybe like I'm gonna believe it when I see it like is this posturing yep. by Barcelona trying to get La Liga to bend change the rules because do you really want to lose La Liga themselves Messi from your league like this is a huge massive loss if he's ought to move on well the posturing didn't work La Liga is standing firm and Messi tearful goodbye over the weekend again blaming La Liga for the reason he's going and now he's in Paris and the question is Jamie will he put pen to paper atop the Eiffel Tower maybe the Arc de Triomphe <laughs> maybe he'll ride one of those tourist boats down the Seine and sign it on there I don't know but all I know is that Messi is in Paris right now and they have signed PS or sorry they have, um, PSG has a press conference for tomorrow at 10 o'clock British Standard Time. So it looks like Messi is finally going to PSG. Yeah, so I, I said, I think probably my exact words were I'll believe it when I see it. You know, the idea of Messi going to a new team, leaving Barcelona. And then I also said on Thursday, you know, if I had to bet right then, would he would it be Barcelona or another team that he's playing for? I said Barcelona. So I got to, you know, do, do it a little early this week and put my hand up and take the L here. Now, mm-hmm. Inc. has not, Penn has not been put to paper just yet. So you never know. There's always a chance. This is European soccer. There's, there's always the chance that something goes haywire and there's this incredible, you know, 12th hour uh, turnaround and Messi does return to Spain. But 
I, I got to admit, at this point, you know, he's touring Paris. He's got the police escort. Fans are going crazy. He's waving out the window to them. If this is an act and posturing, he's taking <laughs> it very, very far. So I think we can safely say that, yes, he will sign the contract with PSG and he'll be playing in Paris next year. There are some reports. Apparently, it's a two-year deal, $35 million net per season with some add-ons. We'll have to see what announcement comes tomorrow. We're going to talk to James Sharman coming up in the second hour of this show, Jamie, because this is massive news. Like, we think about, <laughs> you know, um, Gretzky being sold to yeah. the Kings. And we always say if Gretzky can be traded, anyone can be traded. And But, I mean, this is one of those things where it's – this is the biggest sports – in the world. Football, soccer is massive worldwide. And for the biggest name in the world, if not the second biggest name in the world, to be leaving the only home that he has ever known in Barcelona and now going to basically a super team. Like, this is this yep. is pretty impressive and massive news for just the sporting landscape and the soccer landscape overall. It is, and it's also just fascinating because it's not, you know, we've seen big stars change teams in soccer before, right? I mean, mm -hmm. obviously Cristiano Ronaldo's in Juventus now. He started in Man United. But it's always because at least one side wants the relationship to end. And that, that's what's so fascinating to me about this situation with Messi is both him and Barcelona have been very, very adamant that, no, I would. I want to stay in Barcelona and keep playing soccer. That's what I want to do. But it's mm -hmm. these weird financial technicalities and rules that are preventing it from happening. I, I, I'm not sure I can recall another situation like this where two sides that want to stay together are being forced apart. You know, you could compare it to something like the salary cap in, yeah. in the NHL. But even then, you always have the option of you know, dumping other players. Like, if you right. really wanted to keep a star player, he takes a little less. You you use some assets to get rid of another of other players. You can open up the room somehow. In this situation, it's just, it's baffling. It's bizarre, but they literally couldn't find a solution. To keep the best player in club history, still pro probably the best player in the world, one of the most famous athletes in the world. Think of all the incentives they had to keep him around, and they weren't able to do it. It's an incredibly bizarre story really and there is some nuance about the fact that if they had signed him re-signed him prior to him hitting quote-unquote free agency and his contract expiring this would have never happened and this is why i want to get into this with james Sharman because it's something about he's now a new player on the team again like it's a i don't know there's a lot of really weird <laughs> nuances with yep. why this isn't going down but one of them is they could have just re-signed him to a contract extension right before he hit free agency and none of this basically would be a talking point. And so for it's a lot of mismanagement, I think, from Barcelona's side, not to mention mismanagement in the years past with their salary cap, we could call yes. it, if we want to North Americanize it. And now leading them up to this point, like, it's just, there was ways, I suppose, that they could have keep them. And it's just, <laughs> the team makes a mistake, and then this is what happens. And I, I don't know who the, you know, I know soccer teams, European soccer clubs don't have, you know, general managers, like we think of them here uh, right. In North America. I, I don't know who the head football decision maker is at Barcelona, but he's he's going to go in the Hall of Shame of sports <laughs> executives. I, or really. I mean, think of an equivalent move to this in North American sports. You can't. Where you just, you just blew it. Like, you basically just didn't sign the right contract, and now Messi's walking out the door. You're not even getting a transfer fee for him. It's almost unbelievable to even think about it. And again, whoever is the top decision maker at Barcelona – 
Not a good mark on your resume. Not a good look for you. No, it's not. So we're going to speak to James Sharman about this. We'll also talk about the women's soccer team and maybe a national team or a national program domestically coming to Canada for the women's soccer and how to grow grassroots level here. That we'll talk to James uh, coming up in about the bottom hour of our second hour. We're going to talk some hockey in about 15 minutes time with Mike McKenna because, Jamie, there actually has been a lot of NHL stuff going on and a lot of goalies that were signed yesterday, young goaltenders that have cashed in actually quite a bit. We'll get into this as this segment goes on and talk to Mike about kind of the significance of those signings. But let's start closer to home because yesterday, afternoon I believe it came in the Canucks did announce that Ole Ulevi has signed a one-year deal $700,000 it's a one-way deal how do you see this signing just getting work done yeah and it's interesting because I, I know a few people are kind of scratching their heads a little bit because Ole Ulevi's qualifying offer which he actually turned down mm -hmm. I believe was for more than this right and yep. I think that's a tactical decision by his camp by the player you know, they realize that the Canucks are going to be in a bit of a cap squeeze, right? Like, they still mm -hmm. have to get two very, very high-profile RFAs signed in addition to Jason Dickinson, who's going to cost them a little bit of money. So cap space is at a premium. If you can come in as low as possible, that actually increases your chances of making the opening night roster, right? Because they're going to try to free up as much mm -hmm. space as possible. Now, there's also the question of, you know, how they shuffle players around. Uh, on opening night to try to maximize the LTIR space that they have. But I think in general, the the thinking from Ole Levy here is I have to be, I have to do something to make myself as attractive as possible because I'm going to be in a really tough competition just to get minutes on this team, right? Jack Rathbone came in and impressed at the end of last season. They went out yep. and they signed Brad Hunt, who has a lot of NHL experience, hasn't played in the AHL in a long time. He'll be fighting for minutes with Ole Levy. So there's no guarantee there's no clear and obvious playing path for Ule uh, path to playing time for Ole Levy here. So I think he just had to take, if he wants to establish his NHL career, establish himself as an NHL player consistently, he needs any mm -hmm. advantage he can get. And in this case, it's being cheap, right? Like, uh, hey, I'm cheap, keep me around. And then if something goes wrong, I'm at hand, I can get in. Now... I understand his qualifying offer was a little bit higher. I don't think Ole Levy in his right mind or his agent says, let's go to arbitration. Uh, the case within there, yeah, I understand his get the qualifying offer, but you just don't want to have to get to that situation with this player um, if you want to, you know, go against the organization and, well, I'm this type of player and the organization's, well, no, you aren't, buddy. Uh, but I do think, too, does this not make, maybe the agent thinks, okay, it's attractive to Vancouver because you're cheap. So, you know, we can fit you into the lineup and we can talk about the depth on the uh, the left side with Ole Levy. You've got Jack Rathbone. You've got Brad Hunt, who they brought in, who's going to be fighting for that third line position as well. But also, Jamie, if he doesn't clear waivers, maybe his con and someone picks him up, maybe his contract is uh, appealing to another organization. Yep. And it's like, OK, then you can get a fresh start somewhere else. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. It's appealing in a couple of ways, maybe to the player. Yeah, that, that's an interesting angle as well, because as I said, you know, with the, the LTIR cap space juggling, there's a chance that he has to go on waivers at the beginning mm -hmm. of the season, right? You know, if, if they want to get as close to the cap as possible to start the year before activating the LTIR. So that's a possibility. With his track record and just how reluctant teams are to take players on waivers, especially at that yeah. time of year, right? When you've, you've set your roster, you've sent a bunch of guys down on waivers, you kind of have it set just how you want it. It usually mm -hmm. takes a pretty interesting player to get a team to bite on waivers. So 
I would be surprised if Ole Levy, if he does go on right. waivers, if he gets claimed, I'd be pretty surprised. But you're right. I mean, maybe it just it, just taking that hundred thousand less, right? Making league minimum makes a team, maybe a rebuilding team that has a little bit of space on their roster. Maybe it makes them take notice and say, "Hey, former fifth overall pick, yeah, we'll take a swing on that." You never know. And that's again, that's the kind of stage that Ole Levy is at in his career, right? Where it's right. not about fighting for every dollar. It's about how am I going to get an opportunity in the league? Like, how am I going to get a chance to play? That's what his goal was here. Yeah, and you could look at this Canucks depth on the fourth on that uh, left side. He's the fourth, fifth, maybe third, depending on how he comes into training camp uh, in the eyes of Travis Green. We'll have to see how that goes. Also, if we're going to stay close to home, Oliver Killington signing that one-year deal, $750,000. It's a two-way deal, Jamie. Drafted 60th overall back in um, 2015. Now, he's played 95 games in the NHL, but only eight games last season. Uh, split time between Calgary and Stockton. Outside looking in at last season under both Jeff Ward and Daryl Sutter, this strikes me once again as a show-me deal. I want to try and re- re- uh, resurrect my career and show that I can be an NHL defenseman. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Trying to be a part of the team, trying to be a part of the blue line. You know, if I had to, if I had to pick one of these players, I would I would lean towards Shillington just because he has the yeah. longer track record in the NHL. Right. It hasn't been spectacular results by any means, but he's at least played a lot of NHL games or a significant number of NHL games in a way that Ole Levy hasn't. So you know, you could look at this and say, oh, I'm a little surprised. Maybe another team didn't come sniffing around with a you know a really light offer sheet that wouldn't have been onerous for, for them to sign, wouldn't have required compensation even. But yeah, this this is the type of thing where when you're on the fringes of an NHL roster, you just kind of have to take this deal to stick around. You you don't you have so so little leverage in situations like this. You don't want to go to arbitration that teams teams can squeeze uh, pinch pennies on you a little bit. And I always apologize, Flames fans. I call them Killington. It's Shillington. It's like the same. I always call them by Fuglian, not Bufflin. I have to write it like B-U-F-F-L-I-N or else I spell it wrong. <laughs> or is it wrong, Jamie? Yes, Oliver Shillington. Uh, he did sign that one-year deal last year again, so it's another one-year deal. And you could look at maybe him slotting in on that third pairing on the right side with uh, Valimaki. But we'll have to see what happens with Daryl Sutter and the confidence that he has in these young players moving forward. So that's closer to home homework that we got done. Kirill Kaprizov is really interesting. <laughs> uh, test case, do you want to say, uh, Jamie, sure. when it comes to Russian players and using the threat of the KHL? Because Frank Saravelli came out yesterday saying, like, he's got an offer from a KHL club, you know, eight figures, basically, what he's saying, you know, in the millions of dollars, uh, which is interesting when you look at what the KHL salary cap is. I believe it's $13 million. So playing, paying one player that significant amount of money sounds like it's un, really not going to happen. Uh, but it is Russia. And I believe this team yes. is owned, owned by Putin's oil company. So yeah. read, read into that what you will. <laughs> I don't KHL. know how ironclad the salary cap is there in the KHL. <laughs> right? I, I feel like there might be a loophole or two to get some players their money. I don't know. What, com- what this comes down to is Bill Guerin wants to sign him long term and the player and the agent want to sign short term and there's no really meeting in the middle as of right now or going one way or the other because what happens is if this player Kaprizov signs short term it's going to walk him to UFA and we saw this happen with other another Russian young player 
who went to free agency and decided to choose the choose the big dollars of a big city with bright lights. So the question is, is Kapril, uh, Kirill Kaprizov willing to commit to Minnesota, Minnesota and living life yeah. in Minnesota long term? It doesn't look like he wants to at this point. Yeah, and that's a tough blow for, you know, Bill Guerin and the Minnesota Wild. I mean, obviously, he he kind of reignited that franchise last year, right? I mean, mm-hmm. how long have the Minnesota Wild been a punchline for being boring, for being average, mediocre? They're not exciting. You don't you, you hate when your team plays them because it's not a fun game to watch. And, I mean, he changed that completely last year. He was one of the most exciting players in the league in his debut season in the NHL, and you look at how aggressive Bill Guerin has been in his time as Minnesota's general manager, the most obvious example being buying out Suter and Parise just this offseason, but mm-hmm. he has really, really tried to reshape that team and made some aggressive, bold moves to push them forward. If Kaprizov walks, it kind of feels like it's all for naught. I, I mean, yes. without him, what do they have there? They need him. He is the cornerstone of that franchise already, so... That puts them in a very tough position because he has a ton of leverage. He knows how important he is to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, And if he has a very, very favorable deal waiting for him in Russia, yeah, it's a bluff. Yeah, he wants to play in the NHL. Obviously, he wants to play in the best league in the world and all that. But, man, I I mean, that's that's a a really good bargaining position for Kirill Kaprizov to be in. I would not want to be in Bill Guerin's shoes on this one. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, He is one of those 10-2C guys, so he... The problem is he basically has no rights. His only negotiating bargaining chip is going back to Russia. And remember, like, this is not a guy that came over as a rookie at the age of 18 or 19 and played in North North America. He played numerous years in the KHL, so he's comfortable going back there. I do think it is a bluff, but when it comes to Russian players playing at home and maybe a Russian player not wanting to play in the market that he's currently in. We have seen this before with numerous Russian players that uh, they do tend to go back home. So we'll have to see how this story plays out. A couple of goaltenders getting signed yesterday, Jamie, as well. And the the big one with the big dollar figures is Igor Shosturkin with the New York Rangers. Four years, $22.6 million. That's the second, that's the largest contract Largest second contract given to a goalie in his second deal. It's a lot of money for a guy who's just coming off, I mean, one of his uh, it, a great season for the New York Rangers, obviously touted to be the next guy. They actually got rid of Henrik Lundqvist because of what they liked in Shesterkin, but it's putting your eggs all in that one basket, assuming that his trajectory is to still go on the same path he's on right now. It's a big deal. I think it caught a, a few people by surprise. Only 47 games in the NHL, so it's a, it's a significant bet on someone who hasn't done it at this level consistently, even though his results so far in the NHL have been good. But I think maybe what some people are missing about Shesterkin is, you know, this guy, he, he's not 22 coming off a couple seasons in the NHL. He's 25 because he played, again, in the KHL for quite mm-hmm. a while before coming over and his track record in the KHL extremely extremely strong consistently an elite goalie there so I think if you look at it not just based on his NHL track record but based on his professional track record as a goalie you can feel a lot better about signing this deal if you're the New York Rangers again you just look at his NHL numbers and you kind of say holy cow they're giving him what for that for that track record but you pull it back a little bit and you look at what he did in Russia as well, and it starts to seem like a better bet. 
Uh, quickly, Carter Hart signing three years, $11.9 million contract in Philadelphia. It gives the kid who had a tough time last year. Jamie ended up with a knee injury, but his numbers were not very good coming off the previous season where his numbers were really good. I think for me, the biggest thing that this shows is that Philly believes, they did bring in Martin Jones, but Philly believes it gives him a little boat of confidence. Like, we believe in you in down the road. We're going to give you this money, and last year was just last year. Push it aside, punt it aside, let's move forward. It's such a fascinating deal. I'm really excited to chat with Mike McKenna in a few minutes here about the Carter Hart situation because, yeah, his first two years in the NHL, fantastic, right? Especially for a goalie that young. He's been highly touted. You know, he was drafted in the second round. He was a star in the WHL. He's done it all as a goalie prospect, but we also know goalies are so volatile, right? And yeah, mm-hmm. it's easy to say, okay, well, he's coming off the injury. It was a weird season, but he was really bad last year. Like, <laughs> really, really bad last year. And even if he improves, you know, he has to improve by a lot to be worth this deal. It can't just yeah. be a little bit of improvement. And, and that's what concerns me. There's a lot of risk here because, again, goalie performance is so volatile. This would not be the first time that a guy had a good two, two, two years and then suffered an injury and never regained his form, right? So I understand the bet, and I think part of this ties into, you know, the history of the Philadelphia Flyers consistently being desperate to find a goalie for decades and decades, right? So I don't think they want to let go of the Carter Hart dream because – they had already convinced themselves he was going to be that elusive franchise goalie for them. But man, there's a lot of risk on this deal, given what we saw from Carter Hart last year. There is, and Mike McKenna is going to join us in about five, uh, ten minutes to discuss that. Also, Jamie and I, in the next hour, are going to discuss our Pacific Division playoff team. So 650, 650, 969-60. Get your feedback in now. Who do you think will be the three playoff teams in the Pacific Division? If you want to add a wild card team, you can do that as well. Jamie, I think you and I are pretty uh, even in our first and second picks, and I think our listenership yep. will be as well. But that third spot in the Pacific Division is where I have circled where I could have one, two, three, or four teams possibly finishing in that spot. Uh, We'll get the listeners, send it in. Who do you think will be the Pacific Division playoff teams in uh, for next season? We're also going to talk a little NFL down the road, maybe hit a little NBA as well. But up next, we're going to continue with the hockey talk. It's former NHL goaltender and our NHL analyst on a Tuesday, Mike McKenna. That is coming up next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Happy Tuesday, Rintoul and Sermon coming to you on Sportsnet 650 and Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Karen Sermon, Scott Rintoul, uh, continuing his vacation. So Jamie Dodd is back in the hosting chair this morning and for the rest of the week. Jamie, I forgot to mention, or we ran out of time before the commercial break, to mention the fact that another goaltender that did sign was Ilya Samsonov. Yep. One-year, $2 million deal. Reunites him with Vitek Venisek, who is back with the Capitals after being taken on the expansion draft and then being traded back to Washington. So it's the same duo they had last year, the young goaltending duo. We'll talk to Mike McKenna momentarily about that signing as well. Also, Yaga Varana signing a three-year, $5.25 million extension with Detroit. He was asking for $5.7 million in his arbitration case. So he does get a basically a $2 million raise from the $3.35 million he was making last season. All I have to say on that contract is he avoided arbitration. 
Yeah, he avoided arbitration. Actually got closer to his number than what the team's number was that they had pitched. So, you know, I think any time a player does that, he probably feels pretty good about himself. And mm-hmm. you know, that's a nice part of contract for Detroit, right? I think Vran is a really, really talented player. And obviously, it's it's still three years over $15 million for him. So he can feel good about it, too. But I, I like that deal a lot for both sides. And just remember, uh, Verana came in on the Anthony Mantha deal last year at the trade deadline, sending Mantha to Washington. Eight goals, 11 points in 11 games with Detroit last season. Of all those signings by the goaltending, um, goaltending signings the last couple of days, which one's intrigue? Which one intrigues you the most for next season? Intrigues me? Oof, that's probably Carter Hart, right? For the reasons mm. I, we were talking about just before the break there. There's so much upside with Carter Hart, but the the risk of what we saw last season is the highest as well, right? I mean, the Samsonov one is interesting because, you know, I was talking about the uh, the track record of Shesterkin in the KHL, and Samsonov has a really strong track record in the KHL as well, too. His NHL results haven't been quite as strong as Shesterkin. So uh, for Washington, I mean, I think that could be a tremendous value for next year, but could, it could also set up Samsonov to get paid uh, coming off that one-year deal. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of, you know, the risk involved, I think the, the Carter Hart one is at the top for me. Yeah, and it's it's funny because we look at Carter Hart's numbers last year. March was really a bad month for him. He picked it up a little bit in April and then got injured, finished off the season. But it's I'm having a hard time, and this is why I want to talk to Mike about this, because of the fact I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around, is Carter Hart the player we saw last year? And just, you know, the defense that he did have in front of him in Philadelphia, which they have tried to shore up this offseason. They brought in uh, Ryan Ellis from uh, Nashville. They also brought in Rasmus Ristolainen. And say what you will about Ristolainen's time in Buffalo, love him or hate him, I think the expectation is he will add or improve in a different setting to the defense in Philadelphia. But... I I do wonder about just last season overall, and I talked about this on the show yesterday, and the fact that, you know, how much did COVID and isolation, can that play into a young player's mind, especially a goaltender? And this is what I want to talk to Mike about. And Mike, uh, we got you on the line. How are you doing today? Greg, can we try and uh, maybe reconnect with Mike McKenna? Yeah, we're going to get him momentarily. Sounds like a little bit of technical difficulties with Mike, so we'll get him on. But Jamie, as I was saying, you know, young goaltender, I don't know if he has a girlfriend. I don't know if his parents are living there with him. Uh, but you have to think, in a situation like last season, there was never time for him to escape his difficulties, yeah. right? Like, you're you're playing terrible on the ice. The results aren't there. And then you're going back to your hotel room or your apartment, and you got an iPad. <laughs> you're probably going to watch highlights of what you were doing and talking to your goalie coach. Like, there's just there was no escape for him last season. So I wonder if that's something that Philadelphia does look at and say, okay, Let's just throw that out, and hopefully we're betting on him being the 2019-2020 goaltender, Carter Hart, that we saw. Well, and they obviously have confidence that they can get that version back, right, in one way or another. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed him to this deal. And it's a fair point, especially when you think about, I think, the mental strain that goalies are under, unique to every position in mm-hmm. hockey, right, because it is such an individual endeavor. And, you know, when, when you make a mistake, it's really obvious, and it usually ends up in the back of the net. So I, I can absolutely understand the idea that a COVID season, the isolation might have been particularly tough for a goalie. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's no guarantee that he's going to bounce back then just because circumstances no. have changed. And that's the scary part, I think, for Philly is, yeah, you can point to all these reasons why he might have had a down year, but we do that with a lot of players and then they don't necessarily rebound. Right. And, and sometimes you know, again, even if he has a little bit of a bounce back, it might not be to the level he was at in his first couple of years in the NHL. 
We're joined now by Mike McKenna, our Tuesday regular NHL analyst and former netminder in the NHL. Mike, are you there? Do we have you? I am here. Yeah. Oh, perfect. For whatever reason, the headphones were not coming through on my device, and that was a technical detail, so I had to refire a few things. So I am now here. Let's go. I heard you talking about Carter Hart, so we can lead off right with that. Let's let's keep moving on that subject. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've seen the two Carter Hearts, the one from the first two years in the NHL, and specifically the 2019-2020 Carter Hart. Then we saw last year where the struggles did come. He signs the three-year deal, $11.9 million with Philly. Do you think last year was an outlier, and the bet Philadelphia is making on him, at least with this contract, means they think so, and he can get back to the 2019-2020 Carter Hart we saw? Well, for sure. I mean, you're looking at a goaltender who's had high-level success in the NHL previously, and you know the first bit of adversity that he's faced I mean, in a really long time in his life and his career um, happened to be last season. You know, I think you could look at the time he spent in the American Hockey League with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms as a bit of a learning and maturing process to becoming a professional goaltender, but it was short-lived because the moment he got to the Flyers in 1819, shortly before I became his teammate in January, and saw what he did that first year. Uh, just how, how confident and how how collected he looked in the net. Um, without question, you've got a 22-year-old goaltender here that the Flyers believe in, that they know they can get back on track. But last year is pause for concern. Um, the numbers speak for themselves. The advanced metrics do as well. Bottom of the pack in just about everything, uh, from save percentage to goal safe above expected, all of those things. And I heard you talking about the difficulties of the bubble. That's real. Um not knowing what this year's going to look like for him. I think it's going to be really important for Carter Hart to, to frankly loosen up and find some joy and find things aside from hockey to really uh, take his mind off of it because it's so easy to spiral and search for things when it hasn't gone well. Uh, but he's a young goaltender. He has a good support structure. He has a very good goalie coach in Kim Dillabaugh. I would bet on Carter Hart. I still believe in him, uh, but they definitely – Brought in some help, too. Uh, you bring in Martin Jones, who's likely going to play a lot of games, I would expect, this year. So it's definitely a big season for Hart, but the belief is still there. So for you, bringing Martin Jones in from after he was bought out by San Jose, is that a push for Carter Hart saying, OK, this is a guy that's played NHL starters games, so this is not your net that we're giving back to you. This is going to be a competition going into this season. Yeah, it's not a push. This is, frankly, they need to win. Philadelphia Flyers aren't in business to be mediocre. They're not in a rebuild right now. I don't. Think, I really don't think that the coaching staff there is going to be patient for Carter Hart to find his game by November or December. It needs to happen right off the bat, and that's why Martin Jones comes in. And uh, but let's be honest too. I mean, Martin Jones is a hoper as well. You know, the last two seasons have not gone well for him in San Jose. Uh, and not just because of the team. The team wasn't great there, but Martin Jones was all over the place in the net. It wasn't a clean season for him really the last two years. But again, we relate this back to what the goaltenders know and what they have in Kim Dillaball, the goalie coach there, and Martin Jones's greatest success as a goaltender in the Los Angeles Kings organization came through the development of Dillaball when they were with the Manchester Monarchs leading up to the Los Angeles Kings time that he had. So I think there's definitely hope to rekindle that But let's not forget here, like Jones has been a straight up starter in the league for a long time now, and he's played a lot of games. He knows how to carry the load. Uh, Maybe a little bit of that off of his back will help him. Maybe having Carter Hart push him as well. 
maybe it's a good scenario like that, but it is a hope play. This is a Band-Aid. It's a one-year deal for Jones. It's a prove-it year for him. It's a prove-it year for Carter Hart. Uh, and, and frankly, that's kind of a nervous position to be in when you're the coaching staff and when, you're, when you have the fans of Philadelphia who are absolutely demanding the best goaltender on the planet be a net for them, and it still may not be good enough. So uh, we'll see where this goes, but, but I think it's going to be pretty interesting how this plays out. There is no starter in my book between Jones and, and Hart. You know, Mike, you mentioned that Carter Hart, he, he was so successful in junior and making his way to the NHL and then in his first couple of seasons, the NHL. And as you said last year, really the first uh, adversity as a hockey player that he's experienced in a long time. And, you know, I'm just curious, coming off a, a situation like that in a season like that, which went so poorly, if you were coaching Carter Hart, what would your advice be to him as he prepares and gets ready to try to have a bounce back year? In Philadelphia. Smile, talk to your teammates, don't get caught up in rituals and superstitions and routines and all the things that take you down rabbit holes and keep you from forgetting how to be a goaltender and enjoy the sport. You can tell people you enjoy the sport. You can say that in interviews. You can say you love it. But when you don't see it on somebody's face, it's very obvious. People need to smile. You need to talk to your teammates. You need to talk to referees in between whistles. Anything to get your mind off of that puck 24-7. The only time looking at that puck matters is when the puck drops to the ice. Once the whistle blows, you refocus. You know, I, I got to see Carter firsthand. He is a phenomenal kid. Uh, he obviously cares so much about his position, but there's a lot going on there. The routines, the mimicking of Braden Holtby and everything that he did. There's just a lot going on. Uh, in my eyes, I think that needs to be streamlined. I haven't seen him the last year and a half, two years. I don't know if that's changed, but personally from the time we spent together, that's what I saw. It always concerned me. And I think last year was kind of a microcosm of that. You look at how it spiraled, and I always think mentally when somebody goes through that much of a funk, you're pressing, you're trying too hard, you're searching. Sometimes the best thing that you can possibly do is just step back and stop caring. And that's the craziest thing in the world for people to hear. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But when you stop thinking, you start stopping the puck. Grant Fuhr says that all the time, and I completely agree with him. Is it hard to break out of those routines for a goalie, though, right? You know, you say he ha we certainly hear about the superstitions and every everything you're saying, the, pre the pregame routines, the routines between the whistle. If you if that's something you've been doing for a number of years, is it difficult to say, okay, man, I have to completely change how how I'm carrying myself in a game before the game, all of that? Well, I'd imagine so. I never had to break free of those shackles. I mean, it's really you're putting yourself into bondage by doing that. You are creating barriers uh, to yourself in my eyes, and, and I know that a lot of this stuff has come from sports psychologists that always are, you know, trying to get you to zone, get into your zone and your zen and you know, all these different routines. And I just think that people over, overdo it a lot. That's my opinion on this. Uh, I don't have a medical degree to back that up in any way, but I've played with thousands of hockey players. <laughs> I might have the world record in terms of teammates. I have a decent grasp of when players are free when they're smiling. Um, and I, I think it's tough because it, you know, you get so wrapped up in these things that you just think, I have to do this to play well. I come in after the first period. I have to drink this much Gatorade. I have to put my jersey on this way. I have to go to the bench. I have to touch the boards this way. I have to spray the water bottle this way. I have to look at the boards four times in this manner or else I will not play well. That's a lot, you know? Like, think about having to do that to just go sit down at your desk and hammer out some emails. You'd be, you'd be stifled. 
And I know I'm kind of on my soapbox about this, but I just truly look at the greats of the game. Look at Martin Brodeur. Watch him. Go back and watch video of Marty Brodeur once the play ends. Watch him talk to his teammates, to the referees. Watch Marc-Andre Fleury. You know, I, I just I see an air of confidence and an air of, of, of joy and passion for the game. Uh, beyond the straight-faced killer looks of things. It's it's hard to break out of, I would bet, but it is possible. You just got to let it go, man. We're joined right now, as we are every Monday, or Tuesday, rather, Tuesday. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. I'm so confused on what day of the week it is. It's the summer. All the, day, all the days just time. blend together in August. Uh, <laughs> Mike McKenna, former NHL netminder and NHL analyst on our show. Mike, another big deal that came in yesterday was Igor Shosturkin signing that four-year, $22.6 million contract with the Rangers. Biggest contract by a goalie getting his second deal. And we usually don't see the big deals come for the second to contracts for a goalie just because of progression uh you know progression with goaltenders throughout their early on in their careers but he does get it we've seen him have success in the khl and translate a bit to the nhl last year what do you see in his progression from say last year and over this contract well i think for shishjurkin i mean he's a top end prospect and people have known this for a long time but there's also part of flight risk involved when you're talking about russian goaltenders i'm never convinced that negotiations are clean cut when we're talking about Russian goaltenders or players. And we see that with Kirill Kaprizov right now. There's a real flight risk associated with this. And if you don't pay them, they're going home. Like that's bottom line. You know, you've got a great option in the KHL in terms of income, but that's not the goal. You can, they come, people come over to, people come over to the NHL for a reason. It's the best league in the world. It's the most mm-hmm. professionally run league in the world. There's not the chaos associated with it. Um, I think Shishjurkin's a rock star, man. Bottom line, like you look at what he did in St. Petersburg in the K, and he just kept it going. His his couple, you know, not couple, but the time he spent in the American League knocked it out of the park. His coaching staff there raved about how competitive it was, how technical he could play, how he handles the puck. I mean, all these things wrapped into one, and that first season with New York was so good. Uh, you know, last year was fine for me. You know, for a 20 20- five-year-old goalie with with limited North American League North American experience to put up the numbers he did 916 but to win games on a team that was okay here and there didn't defend that great all the time I, I think this contract should play out to be a value for the Rangers especially if they can get things together some of the moves they made this summer I really liked uh, I think they'll be a better defensive team but just you can completely outplay Georgiev he put Keith Kincaid in, the, Kincaid in the minors again. I mean, this is a guy who's the real deal. So I, I don't mind the number on it. I know people will raise their eyebrows and go, wow, this is the most goal he's ever made on a second contract. Well, you don't win Stanley Cups without goaltenders. And mm-hmm. if you want to hang on to the best prospects, which Shishjurkin is among them uh, and bona fide NHL goalies at this point, you got to pay him. I, I think the deal's good. I think it'll pay off for both sides. From one Russian goaltender to another, Capitals re-signing Ilya Samsonov to a one-year $2 million deal, reuniting him with the pairing of Vitek Venishek, who the Capitals have back in the crease after losing him momentarily to Seattle in the expansion draft. He had a 13-4-1 record this past season. He also had a season pause twice because of COVID protocols last year, Mike. Uh, did struggle in the postseason, but how do you see the duo, uh, this young duo for the Capitals next season? I'm not sold here. I think there's a lot to prove. And I think Samsonov missing so much time between COVID and between the, I think it was an ATV accident that he wrecked himself on. He's just been out of the net for a while. And I'm not convinced that 
he's going to be right on it right at the start of the year. I think Vitek Vanacek's got a pretty wide open hole here to grab some ice time and, and potentially grab that net like he did last season. I just don't know where Vanacek's ceiling is. I always thought he was a pretty good American League goalie. I thought he was a good NHL goalie last year. I don't know if he's elite. Samsonov has that pedigree to him, the elite pedigree, that he could become that goaltender. There's been flashes of it. It hasn't hit consistent level yet, whether it be through injury or sickness, whatever it's been. I think those have been inhibitors to him. And obviously, I think his contract reflects that. You know, you're getting a lesser cap hit on him. It's still somewhat of a prove-it deal. Uh, he's not as can't miss as Shishurkin to me, but I think that the hope is definitely that Samsonov grabs this and, and runs with it. Um, because again, that ceiling seems to be higher. He has the skill set, and you're also hoping that Washington, you know, once again, is a little bit better this year in, in how they play and and really come back to where they were in form. But uh, Vanacek sure made a good case for himself last season. I'm excited to see where his is this next year. So, Mike, I want to turn our attention a little closer to home here, to the Pacific Division. Karen and I, a little a little later in the show, we're going to get into it and debate the, who we think the playoff teams will be out of the division. Now, I think consensus around the league is going to have Vegas at number one, but then you've got, you know, this group of teams that all have strengths, but all have a lot of flaws out in that next kind of tier in the Pacific division, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Seattle, you can include LA in there potentially. Is there a team that jumps out to you that you think kind of has pole position for the second playoff spot in the division? I'm so bad at predicting. I will fully admit that. Uh, but I, I do believe that the West is much more wide open than a lot of people think. And, and I think that the wild card to that really is, it's the Kraken to me. You know, I mean, where are they going to go to make this a little bit different out there? And I'm not sure where that's going to lead. You know, Anaheim to me, I don't see them improving a lot. Calgary, Man, Calgary always confuses me. I feel like if they get off to a hot start and and can ride ride the Daryl Sutter wave now that they've made some changes to get more of a more of his type of team in there, I I think they have an opportunity. Um, L.A. to me still another year or two away. Uh, Dano's not going to help them score too much. I, I like what he does to that team and other plays, but you're really waiting on the prospects there still. Can Quentin Byfield make a difference? I really believe Seattle can make waves. I really do. And I don't see this any differently than Vegas, that they could be a mid-pack team, maybe even surprise. But I, I do think it's going to be you know, Edmonton, Vegas, who you're looking at to come down to the wire and make a difference here. I'm not sure Vegas keeps the magic going. They've missed, they've, they're missing so many core pieces to what they've had over the years. If they don't start out well, I could see things spiral there quickly. You know, kind of like things did in San Jose before Pete DeBoer was let go there. They had a nice club, but it didn't stick together. So uh, I don't think that's going to happen to Vegas. I think they'll be right there. There's enough skill in that room and enough sta- enough talent on the coaching staff and throughout the organization. They should be there. Uh, but Edmonton, regular season, I wouldn't bet against them. As flashy as they're going to be and as many goals as they're going to score and as much as they're going to beat up on Anaheim and probably you know, San Jose and L.A., I think Edmonton could take the division. I just don't think they can do it in playoffs. And that's where I'm not sure that their style of outscoring everybody and hoping Mike Smith is what he was last year is going to do it. I know I believe in Dave Tippett. I know he likes to play defense, but I don't know that he has the horses on the back end to really be able to lock down. 
Well, Mike, as an Oilers fan, I will tell you, I agree 100% with you in your assessment of the Edmonton Oilers team. Regular season can outscore teams, not so much when it comes to the postseason. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you, have you been, did you follow the Summer Olympics? Did you get into them at all? Or has the time change a little too much? Like, were you able to enjoy? Sadly, I will say that I hardly watched any. Mm. Uh, my my wife is a massive volleyball fan. She was a Division three college hockey, or college hockey, listen to me. She was a Division three college a uh, volleyball player at St. Lawrence where we both went to school. So she was very excited uh, as an American about yeah. the women's team winning gold, which was really cool. And uh, from what I did see, it was mostly volleyball because I, I do love the sport as well. Um, but not much else, man. I'm, I'm a hockey racing guy and I've kind of taken this time to myself and to clear my head a little bit. And uh, next week I'll be doing the same thing. I'm going to be riding about 240 miles on my bike and hopefully two or three days and trying to just get a little bit of clear space. <laughs> you know, it's what, it's what you got to do in the summer, right? You got to take a break. Yep. We will still try and find storylines to talk about in the NHL season when we do talk to you next week. Um, but I was just going to ask you quickly, with Team Canada announcing their coaching staff for the Beijing Olympics, it, I mean, I don't, it's just, I guess they had to do it procedurally, but the NHL players have not confirmed that they're going over there. The NHL has not confirmed. When mm -hmm. we heard that there were restrictions that were in Tokyo in place, and now we're hearing like they're going to even be more restricted when they go in February to Beijing because COVID-19 is not going anywhere by February 4th when they start the Olympics. Do you think there might be any hesitancy on the NHL going, yikes, I don't want to be back in a bubble situation again for three weeks? I think there'll be hesitancy, but when push comes to shove, how many players really just stop playing? It seems like hockey guys just eat it and go. Uh, and the allure of the Olympics is just so special. And, and think about it from this way, too. These players have been through hell with the bubble twice. You know, if you're mm -hmm. in the playoff bubble and then through this past season. And, and I don't throw that around lightly saying it was hell. I mean, it was tough on the players. And they're sick of it. Like, everybody's sick of this. Um but I think it also lets them know that, hey, if we go over to the Olympics, we could handle two or three weeks of that no problem to be able to wear our mm -hmm. country's jersey to potentially win a gold medal. Um, so, so I think there might be a little bit of hesitancy. But when, when it comes time to put those rosters together and the opportunity to, to win a gold medal, play for your country, I think we're going to see the players go. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to happen. I think the players that – don't want to go also want to have three weeks break or don't go don't get chosen want to have a three <laughs> week a nice break perk. in the middle of the season right uh enjoy wants your to make the all-star team this year <laughs> no exactly right i want to have four weeks vacation uh mike thanks so much for joining us once again on a tuesday we will talk to you next week enjoy uh enjoy the weather enjoy the speed you're going to get over the next couple of days and i mean that on the racetrack yeah, i appreciate it all right thanks everybody have a great day have a great day, Mike. That's Mike McKenna, our Tuesday. Regular. Jamie, these days in August tend to kind of just blend all together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Warm well, weather and... I, I had yesterday off, so it feels like a Monday for me. Right. So I was like, yeah, it's Monday, of course. And oh, wait, no, you're right. It is Tuesday. Uh, coming up next, we're going to still stay in talking with hockey. We asked Mike McKenna about the Pacific Division. Jamie, you and I are going to discuss the Pacific Division. We've shown yep. each other our lists. We're pretty consistent on the top two. And then when it comes to that third spot in the division, it's like, I don't know. Put a name in um, yep. a bucket, pick it out, and you could be right if that's the team that finishes third in the division. Send us your uh, lists as well, 960, 960, 650, 650. Who do you think will finish in the three playoff spots in the Pacific Division this season? We're going to discuss that next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. One hour in the books. 
on this Tuesday morning. This is Rintoul and Sermon. Karen Sermon and Jamie Dodd in for the vacation. Scott Rintoul, he will be back on Monday morning. But Jamie, I'm going to be on vacation Monday morning. So I think it's yeah. you again with Scotty next week. Uh, Scott and I will have spent a month away from each other. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. It's been quite a while. And then I think the week after that, Scotty's on vacation again. It's, Are you it's serious? Been a crazy time. I'm pretty sure, yes. I did not know that. I thought I'd be coming back to work with Scott Rintoul nope. on August 24th. So you and me again. I, I for... could be wrong. Don't hold me to don't hold me to that. And we'll see if it's me, if it's someone else, whatever. But yeah, no, that's that's my understanding. Huh. It's been a, it's been a long, long time since uh, since the whole crew has been together. It'll be like just, you know, starting over once again come September yep. with Scott and myself. Now, yesterday on the 6.50 morning show with Halford and Bruff, they ran a poll question. Now that the Olympics are over, what do you want us to talk about? And they said NFL, CFL, so just pigskin, uh, football. And they said soccer. Uh, they said fo- NHL, hockey. And then other, I think, was the other one. Guess which won the poll? It's got to be hockey. It's got to be hockey. Yeah. We live in Canada. Yeah. Our two markets, I think if you ran that exact same poll in Calgary, it would be a very similar outcome to which wins the pool. So we're going to give the listeners what they want, Jamie. We're going to talk a little bit more hockey on August 10th, uh, middle of summer. <laughs> we're going to talk a little NHL. The Pacific Division is back next season. We're going to have Vegas, Seattle, LA, Anaheim, San Jose, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. I think I speak for you and speak for a lot of people saying, thank God we are back to different divisions and a normal schedule because as much as we all thought the intrigue for the North Division would be fun last season, it just ended up being a dud with how things played out. There was really no competition and with the health of the Canucks down the stretch and how poorly Calgary did down the stretch as well, it was just, it doesn't have the intrigue. So I'm happy to be talking about the normal Pacific Division with Seattle and Arizona gone. Yeah, a new uh, new look Pacific Division though with Seattle joining uh, joining the division. So it's I mean it's just going to be great to see these teams again on a regular basis and to see how Seattle stacks up with the other teams. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, people mm-hmm. can talk all they want about oh this is a really weak division. I think that's fair to a certain to a certain extent, but you know the flip side of that is it's going to be very competitive as well, right? So there there should mm-hmm. be a legitimate race for you know at least two of the three guaranteed playoff spots in this division. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I we had discussed like, are we going to talk a wild card spot or should we just talk about the Pacific Division, the top three teams? I think if we're to make a educated guess, the probably the two wild card <laughs> uh, teams will come from the Central Division in the Western Conference this year. But you never know. You, you you never know. You have to play the games and see how they are. But so what we're going to do is we're going to discuss who we think or how we think the Pacific Division is going to shape out in terms of playoff teams Jamie and we asked Mike McKenna this off the top and Jamie I'm gonna allow you to go first who do you have finishing first I think it's probably the exact same bet that I do and that Mike McKenna had in the previous hour yeah and I think if you polled people around hockey you'd come in with you know 90 95 percent of people saying this team and it it is Vegas and I I actually do agree with uh, something that Mike McKenna said about them which is that you know this team could easily take a step back I do wonder how long it lasts before their center depth or their lack of center depth starts to catch up with them a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you just look at the rest of the roster, and outside of center, they have a ton of depth up front, right? They still have Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Mark the names we've gotten used to. I really like the Evgeny Dadanov pickup for them. I think he's a very useful player. And then you look on the blue line, you know, Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez. That's just a really solid foundation for a blue line. So, yeah, there are questions with Vegas. You know, how, how will Robin Leonard handle the increased workload with Marc-Andre Fleury gone? There's a lot of legitimate questions, and maybe 
that takes them out. Like, if you were doing a league-wide power rankings, maybe you bump yeah. them down a little bit. But looking just at the Pacific Division, their track record's too strong. The talent is too strong. You have to pick them number one in the division. Yeah, I think any questions that they have just comes playoff time. And it becomes with the fact that so far they have not upgraded to a dynamic center on their top line. Like Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, that is a great first line we've seen in the regular season the question is is can that score against a team in seven a seven game series or against um a team that has a very defensively sound game plan and we saw against montreal how their game game plan was against vegas but it's hard to argue with jamie a team that's been this consistent and they went to the western conference we'll call it the western conference finals last year again one series away from making it to the stanley cup that comes on the heels of two years prior they were one series away from making it to the stanley cup so when you consider the fact that they really, the biggest loss was Marc-Andre Fleury, and you had mentioned Robin Leonard, and they're putting all their eggs in one basket with him. Can he stay healthy? Will he be a number one goalie that can ride, you know, 50-plus games for this team? Uh, that's the question that they're answering with yes by getting rid of Andre Fleury, but they really didn't lose anybody else of significance off their roster this offseason. They did get, you know, Nolan Patrick and Cody Glass is gone. You said Dandenov, that signing, and Ryan Reeves is gone, which I don't know is a... You think about it as a massive loss for their team, but he was someone that got energy going um, when they needed it and got he was a fan favorite. So we'll see what that leads to, but I don't think it'll lead to anything in the regular season. I think it's just Vegas is number one. They're the best team on paper. They're going to be the best team on the ice in this division. It's a matter of can they take that next step in the postseason. Number two, who do you have at number two, Jamie? So number two, and again, I think this will be consensus. I'm going to go with Edmonton. Now, before I dive into it a little bit, I will say after Vegas, from about two through, I don't know, five, six in the Pacific Division, we're not talking about a big gap, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you wanted, if, if I list off my teams two, three, four, five, and someone else said, you know what, I think it'll be the exact opposite of that, I wouldn't argue too strongly, because <laughs> I think we're going to be talking about, I don't know, a five-point spread between those places, right? It's going to be really really close i anticipate you never know obviously injuries yada 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 team could pull away get a great performance but i'm expecting it to be very very close between this next crop of teams i will go with edmonton and look mm -hmm. i get it they have a ton of issues i mean the bet they're making in goal with mike smith and miko koskinen that oh, should terrify you i'm sure it does terrify you karen as an oilers fan right the blue line I'm not sold on Duncan Keith. Cody Cece worries me. There's a lot not to like there. But they still have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, right? And, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Over an 82-game sample size, those guys are too good. They're too productive. They are going to carry Edmonton in the regular season. And, you know, I think you could look uh, like I, I, I know a lot of people are down on him. I like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They keep him in the fold. Zach Hyman will be good for them this year. That I don't like that contract at all, but it'll help them this year. You know, Warren Fogel is a nice pickup. So up front, they have the horses, starting obviously with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, there is a lot that could go wrong at the back end. I, I completely admit that. But you could point to the other teams we're talking about here. Vancouver, Calgary, Seattle, and you could find major flaws on their roster as well. So yeah, Edmonton is a deeply, deeply flawed team. But because they have McDavid and Dreisaitl, I'll take them for number two. So they finished second in the Pacific when the COVID pause had happened. They finished second in the North last season. So I have them as well finishing second in this division. I just think their high-end talent is higher than anybody else in this division. As you mentioned, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, top two scorers in the league last year. And it's just, 
I mean, if Connor was motivated last year, I can only imagine how motivated he's going to be this year. You know, a more full training camp, a more full offseason. You know, what kind of steps, improvements in his game is he going to take? I don't know if he needs to improve Jamie in his game. But yeah, there's I don't gonna know be, about that. <laughs> there's going to be something that he worked on, maybe face-off percentage. I don't know, that he wants to uh, take a next step next season. And But I'm with you, like, you lose Adam Larson. That's a big loss. And I think Duncan Keith saying he wanted to come to Western Canada and signing signing Edmonton, he probably thought his partner was going to be Adam Larson on that blue line. Instead, he gets Cody Cece, I guess. Um, Ethan Bear is gone. He was paired with Darnell Nurse last year on the top line for a lot of the season. Oscar Clefbaum's not coming back, at least what we know for the start of the year. Caleb Jones, they lost another young blue liner. I guess you're putting a lot of, okay, Evan Bouchard's going to have to be an NHL player next year. He's going to have to take that next step and be at least a third-line pairing. Can he move up as the season goes on? But it's just like, I look at this and I think Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry, Duncan Keith, Cody Cece, Chris Russell, Evan Bouchard. You've got the Swedish kid as well that maybe can make a step to the NHL. It just doesn't strike me as a group that I'm like, yeah, that screams confidence on the back end. Um, And, you know, when it comes to Zach Hyman, he'll probably do what he did for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and that'll help. Connor McDavid. And if you're putting Jesse Pugliarvi on one of his wings for Connor McDavid, you're asking him to take another step towards being a better NHL player this season. There are so many questions with this roster where I could say, Jamie, it could go wrong and they could somehow miss the playoffs. But if I'm going to just kind of go off consistency of the last couple of seasons, I'm having them finish second in the Pacific Division. And it's so funny doing this with the Pacific Division because you're picking teams and it makes it sound like you love the team, right? I'm picking them to finish second in the division. But really what we're doing is picking between a bunch of deeply flawed teams, right? So you're (laughs) The lesser of the evils. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Edmonton missing the playoffs. If Mike Smith completely tanks, right? And Miko Koskinen's no good either. It could absolutely happen. But we got to pick someone. (laughs) We got to pick someone. Exactly. Landing on the Oilers. Yeah. Okay, so you and I have one and two the same, and a lot of our listeners texting in do have Edmonton and um, Vegas as Vegas. the top two teams, yep. just depending on which, which, where they fall. Who do you have for third? Because I texted you last night. I'm going, Jamie, I have no idea who to pick for third. Yeah, so I wrestled with this a lot, and I'll, and I'll say the three teams I was debating between, right? And it's Vancouver, Calgary, and Seattle. Though I know some people want to have L.A. in there. We had a texter, Rick, from Calgary. Uh, who had L.A., who had, I think, Vancouver finishing six and, and, the, and the Kings finishing above them. So mm. it's not exactly consensus, but I look at those three teams as the ones that are going to be fighting for the third and potentially the wild card spot as well. It was a really tough decision because, again, all the teams have strengths. All the teams have serious, serious flaws. I decided to go, and I know people are going to call me a homer and whatever, but I did decide to go with the Canucks in third oh. place, and I'll tell, I'll tell you why. I'm betting on their high-end talent. It's it's similar yeah. to the Edmonton argument. Now, Elias Pettersson is not Connor McDavid or Leon Draisaitl. I understand that. But I'm betting on Elias Pettersson to have a strong year, and I'm betting on Quinn Hughes to have a bounce-back year. Beyond that, I think their forward group is the best in the division after Edmonton and Vegas. I like it more than Calgary's. I like it a lot more than Seattle's. Their defense is a major question mark, but the difference with Vancouver is – we know Thatcher Demko can survive and put up good numbers in mm-hmm. a less than ideal defensive environment, right? He has experience playing in an environment where he's taking, where he's facing a ton of high danger shots, right? And he can survive and perform in that environment. So I don't think it's always going to be pretty. I don't think Travis Green will necessarily like how his team wins games this year when they do win games because there's going to be a lot of high scoring affairs for Vancouver. But I just think the high end talent, the depth of the forward group, 
and Thatcher Demko is enough to just squeak them past Calgary and Seattle. And then after that, I'd probably go Calgary, you know, a point or two behind Vancouver, something like that, and Seattle right there as well. It was a really, really tough call, though. Okay, so I just want our listeners to know, like, you and I did not discuss this before the show. No. And we just kind of put our teams into the rundown that we have that we shared. But we also didn't say which one was our third team. We both have Vancouver, Calgary, Seattle. I had Los Angeles, just question mark, question mark. But I did go with Vancouver as well. And again, it's not a homer pick. It is basically the same thing that you said. It is high-end talent. And I look at the acquisition of Elias Pettersson. And basically, that's their biggest acquisition this offseason, is getting a healthy Elias Pettersson back throw the contract out there. He signed, he's coming back next season, but that's probably the biggest free agent signing. Shall we say that any team in the Pacific division has had this year is getting your number one top center back healthy next season. I think that'll just make a huge difference for this Canucks team. Look, they finished dead last in the North last year, and we can point to the COVID situation. We can point to numerous things. You know, it's, they only have to play Montreal twice this year. So that's a good thing for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, They struggled against Montreal last year, but I just, I think when you look at the fact that they've really overhauled their roster, that was not very good last year. And you've got, you, you know, Nate Schmidt's out, Braden Holtby's out, Jake Verdan's gone, Alex Edler's gone. You've finally got Erickson, Roussel, Beagle off these, uh, off this roster. You know, Travis Green doesn't have to make the decision. Do I play Jay Beagle now? Do I play Anton Roussel? Like, there's different decisions for him to be making. You've got Oliver Ekman Larson in. Hopefully, he can have a bounce back year. You've got Connor Garland. Like, he's an upgrade in your top six. Yeah, You've huge got Pod Coles, yeah. uh, Pod Coles in coming over. Hopefully, he can be an NHL player off the bat, maybe on the third line, see what he can do. You've got Tucker Pullman coming in on the blue line. Luke Shen, Brad Hunt. You've got Yaroslav Halak as a cheap uh, backup goaltender. But to me, it all just comes back to Elias Patterson, and I just think that he's just going to make this team 10 times better. You don't have the question of, are you going to sign your head coach all season hanging over your head? How does that affect what Travis Green does with the roster lineup? I just think this team is primed for a bounce back season. Well, there's an element of addition by subtraction, right? You know, with, as you said, lo- getting rid of Jay Beagle, getting rid of Antoine Roussel, getting rid of Jake Vertanen, who did nothing for them on the ice last year before we even get into the off the ice stuff. Adam mm-hmm. Gaudet, they traded him at the deadline. He was a zero for them last year, right? Like a yeah. lot of guys that contributed nothing basically to the lineup are gone. And productive players, at least in some spots, have come in. Again, major, major questions about the blue line. And that's why if you tell me at the you know, end of the year they finished fifth behind Calgary and Seattle, it's not like I'm going to be bowled over. I'm not going to be, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. there's lots of flaws on this team. But the combination of the high-end talent and the forward depth and Thatcher Demko – I think it's enough to at least make them the favorites for the third spot here. Yeah, and I could argue Calgary, too, could push for that third spot. Like you said, there's a bunch of teams that could be in there. With Seattle, I do have questions at the moment of how they're going to put the puck in the net consistently. Uh, They're going to be hard to play with and probably hard to score on, but you also have to try and find a way to score goals if you're the Seattle Kraken. With the Calgary Calgary Flames, it all comes... We thought they were going to change this core, Jamie. We thought they were, and they didn't. Yep. The only player gone basically is Mark Giordano. And yeah, you change the core and your captain's gone, but not the core with the forward line. So can Daryl Sutter get more consistent effort from this core? Can they take go back to the team that finished third in the Pacific two years ago in the 2019-2020 season before the pause? Can they somehow regain some puck 
scoring magic. That's where this Calgary Flame team lands right now. Like, if they can figure out a way to put the puck in the net consistently and go back to two years ago, I could see Calgary finishing second, or sorry, third in this division. I absolutely could. But you're putting a lot of eggs in a basket for guys that really underachieved last year. Yeah, and look, they have Jacob Markstrom in net. We've yeah. seen here in Vancouver, Canucks fans know he can carry a team to, to finish you know above where people expect them to in the standings. We know that's possible. But I look at the blue line, and you know, you're hoping Chris Tanev can maintain his performance from last year. Outside mm-hmm. of that, okay, you have, you have Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, and Chris Tanev. Outside of that, of that there's a lot of question marks on the blue yep. line. And the forward group. Some very nice pieces, but again, we are expecting a major shakeup. We are expecting an infusion of talent in some way to that forward group that desperately needs more legitimate high-end talent. So, again, there's some very nice pieces in Calgary, and I expect it to be a really close competitive race for them in the Pacific Division. But yeah, right now I have them just on the outside looking in. Yeah, Blake Coleman is a nice addition to this team. Really nice addition, yeah. yeah. But you need to have a Blake Coleman in the right spot on this roster, right, Jamie? Like, I don't, you know, he was in a prime position with Yanni Gord and Barkley Goudreau in Tampa Bay. So what is the expectation of him coming in? Like, he's not going to be a top-line forward. Second line, I probably guess that's where he's going to slate in for the Calgary Flames. We'll have to see how Daryl Sutter uses him. Tyler Pitt looks a nice pickup, again, but it's nothing earth-shattering, which we kind of expected maybe was going to happen with the Calgary Flames because of the shakeup that you know, Brad Living has said that needed to change in the offseason. Some texts coming in. Kraken are finishing at or towards the bottom of the league, not third in the Pacific. Wow. Canucks finished third, but very close to Edmonton at that third spot. That's from Avatar G in Delta Port. Maybe it's because we kind of have the recency bias of Vegas. I'm just not willing to say they're going to finish like towards the bottom of the league, especially in this division. Like we know Anaheim and San Jose whether or not San Jose is Evander Kane in the lineup or not. Like, I feel those are going to be the bottom two teams in this division. It's just, you know, rebuilding young players, questions on their roster, uh, some aging players on San Jose. Like, I'm just not sure that either of those teams are going to have any sort of push in this division. LA, I could see them maybe fighting for that third spot just because of some of the additions that they made. But again, with the Los Angeles, it comes down to Jamie. Some of those kids have to take a massive step for them to make a playoff. Like Quinton Byfield, he played how many games? 20 games maybe last year for the LA Kings. Right now, like if you're going to make the playoffs, he's going to make the step to your number two center, basically, uh, for them to have success going forward. So there's still too many questions with that LA team for me to actually physically put them in there. But Seattle, other than trying to put the puck in the net, I think they are going to be hard to play against and could steal some games, you know, one nothing. at least looking at this roster. Yeah, they're going to be a tough out. That, that's for sure. I have questions about the forward group as well. And again, you know, we're, ta- we're still talking about it with Vegas, depth at center. It's so hard yes. to acquire high-end centers, and I think that's going to be a major issue for Seattle as well. But, you know, I, I like Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Eberle. They do have some talent up front. I don't know if they have enough of it, but – Combine that with what they have in the crease and on the blue line. Yeah, I think they're going to be a tough out, and they'll do enough. You know, remember, loser points count too, right? If you can just get it to overtime, you you rack up those points, and you can hang around in the playoff race for a long time. I think they will be able to do that. Just on our discussion uh, of the Calgary Flames, this unsigned text into the uh, Calgary inbox, 960-960. So this texter had Vegas, Oilers, and the Flames in the top three spots in the Pacific Division response to our conversation about them changing the core he says that's true but i don't think we can say it's the same core right now there's still time to make deals if it's october in the same sure but right now i don't think we can say it's the same 
And then he says, here comes Eichel, please. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I agree. If, 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 and Calgary's not the only team involved in the Eichel discussions, right? We've heard Vegas involved yeah. in those discussions as well. So, yes, if a team in the Pacific Division goes out and makes a splash and lands Jack Eichel, you can throw these out the window because we're going to have to reevaluate if that happens. Yeah, like, guys, we're t- this is August 10th, and we're looking at the rosters that these teams have right now, and we're just making predictions because we know you guys want us to talk about hockey. Uh, this one comes in from Blake to 650-650. I say it will go Edmonton, Vancouver, Seattle. I say Vegas falls off, and the Canucks challenge her first in the division. Bold take, but I think they have what it takes, and Seattle will surprise winning a bunch of low-scoring games. That's what we touched on. Jamie, I don't know if I have Vancouver surprising and winning... Uh, battling for first, but you know, you get a healthy Elias Pettersson and some chemistry with those forward lines. Like you said, some of the depth with these forward lines for that Vancouver has done, they, I mean, they've overhauled their roster a ton this off season and it'll take time to see, but you could see if there is some chemistry and they don't get off to a really brutal start, uh, you know, as yep. the Canucks are kind of like they did last uh, wa- year, want yeah. to want to to start the season we'll see where it goes from there uh and this one comes in from salmon like Cowichan. he says you're right karen the oilers probably will finish second because the canucks will probably finish first i mean it's it's not that far-fetched right you need to imagine vegas taking a big step back we've had some texters in calgary saying hey don't count out the the difference that losing flurry is going to make for vegas not just because now leonard has to step up and carry more of a yep. load but also what a glue guy, what a leader Flurry was. And I, I think there's something to that. And, you know, Mike McKenna alluded to it as well when we had him on. I think that's fair. I can see Vegas taking a step back. I don't think it'll be enough to close the gap between them and the rest of the division. Jamie, we uh, have to move what they're saying. Usually is at 10.15 or 11.15 in Calgary. So we're going to move that to a little bit later on in this show. But next up, we're going to switch our discussion to a little footy. Because as much as we want to talk about predictions for the Pacific Division, there is a massive story going on worldwide. Now, Messi is no longer going to be at Barcelona, at least until... (laughs) He's got about, what, 24 hours until he puts pen and paper to Paris uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, it's likely going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be, we're expecting a two-year deal, but we'll talk to James Sharman about what this means for, you know, the world of football and how significant this actually is for not only Barcelona, not only PSG, but all the European leagues and the worldwide leagues. So we're going to talk to James Sharman next. That's coming up on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Had to let that one breathe, Jamie. Had to let it breathe. <laughs> this is Rintel and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for a vacationing Scott Rintel. Do you know we played Backstreet Boys on the show? Not Backstreet Boys. Sorry. Oh, my God. That's a ma- major faux pas. Wow. We played NSYNC on the show yesterday. Wow. I did not know that. That doesn't yeah. surprise me too much. Was there, oh, really? was there a reason or just, uh, just for there- fun? Well, there was a reason uh, when Bick and I were doing our uh, blind dates <laughs> huh. and we were we were asking ourselves questions to get to know each other um, on said blind dates. Uh, he asked what my first concert was and I said Our Lady Peace. And then the second concert was NSYNC. So there you uh, go. Yes. So Greg was on on top of the music selections yesterday. Want to get this one quickly in. We were just talking in the last half hour about the fact like what our predictions were going to be for the Pacific Division in the NHL this upcoming season. Rager, don't worry. I saw your text. I want to get it in. Vegas first, Edmonton second, and not Calgary in third. Obviously, Vegas is uh, first for us, Edmonton second for us. You and I could have had a major discussion on what happened with third, and we did. But for Rager, obviously, he's texted into 650-650, not a Calgary fan, and does 
not want the Flames, or basically anybody but the Flames, in third and in the playoffs position. Uh, Jamie, has Messi gone to the top of the Eiffel Tower? Have you been on Messi watch? I have not seen it yet. I don't know. I don't know what the status is. If he's still being, you know, shuttled around with police <laughs> escort or what exactly is going on. But no, I have not seen uh, visuals of Messi at the top of the Eiffel Tower yet. When I saw this happening today, my first thought was, this is totally like Kawhi watch. Do you remember that? How nuts it was in Toronto when they were trying oh, yeah. to figure out if Kawhi Leonard was going to re-sign with the Toronto Raptors. He took a private plane that I think was owned by MLSC into Toronto, and news channels had the copter, you know, the helicopter circling above, saying, oh, he's on the tarmac. Now he's going into a car. Like, it was almost like O.J. Simpson-esque <laughs> when it came I, to, like, the, the Bronco chase. It was like the Kawhi yeah. chase. I remember he, you know, he went to the Jays game. He went to Niagara yeah. Falls. He was doing all the Toronto stuff. And yeah, and, and then, yeah, turned out he went back to LA. But yes, I do remember the frenzy around that. Very anticlimactic in the end. I don't know if this is anticlimactic because it was rumored that this is where he was going to sign. But Lionel Messi is leaving Barcelona. Someone to break it down for us. Talk about the impact, the significance of this. We're joined now with James Sharman with the Fo Footy Prime podcast. James. I haven't talked to you since Euro 2020. How's your summer been? How are you? Well, I'm just about over the, the crushing disappointment, Karen, of, of what happened to Euro. <laughs> but uh, I think we'll be okay. The new season begins this weekend, so uh, I can almost forget that now. There you go. No more uh, England losing. Yes, we can finally get over that. <laughs> um, James... I just want to go back to the first when the reports came out on Thursday and it was a report and a, and a statement from Barcelona saying like, look, Lionel Messi and us, Barcelona, have a deal in place, but it's because of the Liga that we can't sign it. And Jamie, he was a little skeptical saying, you know, like, is this some posturing from Barcelona? Do they want La Liga to change the rules so that Messi can stay in the league? When you first heard that, did you think this was coming to an end or was there a possibility that he could be back with Barcelona? Yeah, it's been a really convoluted time for La Liga, for Barcelona, and for Messi. And you're right, at the time there, I thought he'd stay. I, I did. They came out pretty much publicly with the new um, president, Laporte, and said, listen, we'll find a way to make this happen. And by all reports, Messi firmly believed they would find a way to get him back at Barcelona by taking a 50% pay cut, uh, which he, the maximum he could do under Spanish law. He couldn't take more than that. And that would be enough to accommodate these very stringent La Liga uh, rules on how much you can spend on your payroll given the revenues. Um, but in the end, La Liga said, no, I'm sorry, you know, you, you can't do this. The only way for this to happen is for you to agree as a club with Real Madrid as well to this, this new investment by this group called CVC, which would have put a lot of money into La Liga, allowing players like Messi to sign but they would have then, as the club said, mortgaged their broadcasting future for 50 years. So there's so many layers to this. And in the end, La Liga would not acquiesce to, to Barcelona, who have been you know, getting their own way for a very long time. And quite mm -hmm. frankly, years of mismanagement um, have caused this, this divorce, which is very sad for, for the club, for the fans, and also for Leo Messi. When you say layers, was there not a layer that if they signed him prior to his contract expiring they could have done some of other financial terms and he could have been um stayed with barcelona there's so many so much speculation out there about what could have happened what should have happened even last year he was a free agent but he gave the team you know the extra time to, to find a way to to find the money so um you know this goes 
beyond, I guess, sporting law, and it goes into more uh, federal law within Spain, and that's what, okay. really, in the end, caused, caused the issue there, I think. But, yeah, so many layers, and like I said before, usually Barcelona and also Real Madrid get their way, and La Liga acquiesced to their demands, but this is the first time, really, where the league said, no, I'm sorry, we're not doing it this time. It's time that you took responsibility. So I know a lot of people, now that uh, Messi is going to officially sign with PSG, they're looking at that, the side that PSG can put on the field, on the pitch there, and salivating, right? That he gets to play with Neymar again, uh, but also with Kylian Mbappe up front. I mean, Messi played with some pretty good sides in Barcelona as well. How does this uh, Paris Saint-Germain squad stack up with some of the great Barcelona sides that Messi was a part of? Yeah, well, I mean, on, on, on paper, it's very good. I wouldn't compare it to the great Barcelona teams of Messi's, uh, you know, Elk, when you had the, the Javis and Iniestas, the Henri's, Eto's, Puyol's, of course, Busquets is still there. You know, they were arguably the best club teams we've ever seen. Um, that being said, this team being put together at PSG is very impressive. You mentioned their Neymar and Mbappe to, to partner um, Messi up front. They just signed Donnarumma, the Euro-winning goalkeeper, on a free transfer. Gini Wijnaldum on a free transfer. Angel Di Maria still there. You know, Marquinhos, Mura Icardi. It is absolutely ridiculous. That being said, at some point, they're going to have to sell some players to accommodate this and, and find a way to appease the UEFA financial fair play rules, um, which are pretty strict too, but have been relaxed during COVID, allowing this deal to happen. So, um, listen, there's a lot more to this story regarding PSG and what they must now do. But right now, for this season, they're going to be the team to beat, you would think, on paper. Um, but they've been there before, and they struggled in Europe. And that's what this is all about, winning the Champions League. This state-owned club needs to win the Champions League. They'll win France this year at a canter, right? The rest of the, the French league, unfortunately, have been crippled due to covid and a broken TV deal. They've all had to basically become worse teams this past few months, except for PSG. So, yeah, this story hasn't finished yet, but with Leo Messi, even at 34 years of age, um, they're going to walk to uh, this crown in France and then perhaps, perhaps a European crown as well. And looking at the club he's leaving in Barcelona, you know, it seems to me like, as a casual observer of La Liga that Messi and his greatness has kind of been papering over a lot of flaws uh, at Barcelona in recent years. And, you know, they're one of the the most successful and, and most famous, most popular clubs in the world. But with Messi, who's been the face of Barcelona for so long, moving on, what does the immediate future hold in store for Barcelona now? Well, it should mean a complete rebuild, right? That's what it should mean. But it's Barcelona and the, the egos that play there might not allow that to happen. So they'll try and sign players now and with Messi leaving perhaps it allows them to register um, Sergio Aguero uh, who, who they signed this off season but hasn't been able to register because of the money situation there he's out mind you for 10 weeks to a calf injury um, but these are aging players that they're still signing so what they should do is strip it all away you know really and, and through the likes of Pedri this young wonderful player we saw at Euro who was superb there is youth coming through uh, the, the youth system there there really is but I don't see them going that route. They really need to do that. But I think they'll keep signing these players. You look at the last few years, guys, you know, what they've done in the transfer market, signing players like Philippe Coutinho for 160 million euros. He's been a disaster. Anton Griezmann was 120 million. Hasn't been that great. Um, you know, uh, Dembele, 150 million euros. Hasn't been that great. So there's this mismanagement for years now under various presidents 
has, has culminated in this issue now with Messi. And it's a real shame, but, you know, they'll spend, now they can spend, I suppose, if they're allowed to. And uh, I tell you this much, it will be a tighter race than, than we've seen perhaps this season, uh, previous seasons, Barca, Real and Atletico. We're speaking with James Sharman with the Footy Prime podcast. Uh, James, let's switch to women's soccer because I saw something, you saw something, but over the weekend where, or I guess late last week, where I don't think I ever thought I'd utter these words. Canada has won an international soccer competition. Uh, Canada won the Olympics in the women's soccer in dramatic fashion in the shootout against Sweden. Um, It was an incredible moment for our country and for those girls as well. What were your thoughts when you saw finally Canada get those gold medals and win that match? I think we're all a bit emotional, right? I mean, how could you not be? This team's been knocking on the door for so many years now. And, you know, on that occasion, they, for me, you know, performed what was the, the greatest moment in Canadian soccer history. And obviously, qualifying for the World Cup in 86 was a huge moment, um, but qualifying isn't winning a tournament. Winning the Gold Cup in 2000 for the men's side was incredible, but it was also CONCACAF. It wasn't, you know, a global tournament per se. To win this thing, you know, against such great teams and to do it with such grit, determination, um, and to see Christine Sinclair, you know, lift that mm. that basically the gold medal, but lift that trophy after all those years. I mean, it was incredible. It was the biggest moment in Canadian soccer history and one of the biggest in Canadian sports history. It's not the biggest, you know, and people will criticize me for saying that, but it's the Olympics and uh, you don't get much bigger than that, do you? And this is a, the, the global game and they were the best at it. So what a day, what a moment. And uh, I think I'm still kind of pinching myself that, you know, Canada <laughs> is an Olympic champion at soccer. Yeah, it just puts a smile on my face to hear that every time I do hear it, James. Uh, the women's national team players, though, they've been very vocal on the this, and Steph Labbe used her voice after winning gold to once again reiterate the need for a women's league in our country. Do you think with this gold medal now uh, captured that this could lead to some sort of national league for, can- for Canadians? Well, I really hope something happens from this, and I'm really happy that, that these players, you know, miss the celebration, use that platform to get this this mandate across. That's so impressive to me. Um, at some point, it must happen. Now, if it's not a professional league in Canada, perhaps expand to the States. You know, TFC, Montreal, Vancouver, they should have women's teams playing at a high level. Why not? They have the money, the resources. That's what they should do. Perhaps the Canadian Premier League can, can have a women's um, league on, on the side there as well. Um, it all comes down to money, let's be honest here. Does the women's game at this point bring enough money in to support a domestic league? I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical about that, unfortunately, at the moment. But at the very least, you know, we need to see these professional sides, the TFCs, the Whitecaps and the, the Impact, taking a real role here, I think, and putting pressure on, on the powers that be to at least get their, their team in, in a North American league for 100%. And James, you know, there was a lot of talk with the United States losing to Canada, ended up winning bronze about the rest of the world kind of catching up in women's soccer to the United States. And I look at what some of the top clubs in European football and the top leagues in European football are doing, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It's investing more in their women's clubs, in their women's leagues, and and I think that's paying dividends. Is that going to be necessary uh, for not just Canada to have a domestic uh, league for these women to play in, but for the United States to put more money into it as well for – you know, Canada and the U.S. to kind of keep pace with the development of the rest of the world now. Yeah, it's a really good point, that is, because, you know, I, I've been saying for a number of years, and not just me, but the women's game is getting bigger, in that nations that in the past haven't, you know, 
put money into that into this game are now doing it and you know whereas it was 10 years ago there were four or five decent teams in, in the women's world soccer now there's you know 10 or 11 decent teams it's getting bigger and i thought that would really cost canada um but you know here we are olympic champions so the states have to invest as well and absolutely you can't be left behind you know american women's soccer was the leading charge for so many years both from a club level and from uh, an international level but now you're seeing the likes of the women's premier league start up um teams like chelsea and manchester city doing really well in, in england obviously barcelona leon you know these teams with, with canadian players playing on them taking it seriously and not being called you know man city women's team being called man city and wearing the same shirts and, and you know um becoming part of the same club 100 percent. so um i think that's key um, will they do it? Well, we'll wait and see. But there's a massive, massive, you know, groundswell of support for this, and a lot of girls playing soccer who now are going to see what happened, you know, um, this past month or so in Tokyo, and saying, "Man, I want to play that." Just like the Jesse Flemings of the world watched in London 2012 and watched uh, Canada do so well. Um, we're in a real good place, both from the men's side and now from the women's side in Canada. Flipping over to the men's side, James, uh, the Canadian national team will start the next stage of World Cup qualifying in just about a month in September. They have a couple of games in Toronto against Honduras and El Salvador, also a road match against the Americans sandwiched in there. You know, given the recent performances we've seen from the Canadian men's team, how high are your expectations going into this next stage of qualifying for them? They've never been higher, to be honest with you. I mean, I know Canada played Mexico really, really well and could have won that game, but they lost. But listen, States and, and Mexico are the top two teams in CONCACAF. We know that. Let's not debate that. But there's absolutely no reason now, from what I've seen, that Canada can't be going for that third berth and qualifying for Qatar. It's a great opportunity. Honduras isn't what it used to be. Jamaica's good. But, you know, they're kind of one-dimensional, very physical. Um, Panama isn't what it once were. You know, the, the Costa Rica is, is not even close to what it was. So what an opportunity for a young team that's getting better and better. We're seeing that better and better every tournament now, growing in tournaments, showing it's got depth finally as well. When those games start, I really hope the mainstream media takes notice because it's going to be a really fun few months. And there's every chance, in my opinion, that this team will qualify for the World Cup. And, and that's something that John Herbin said when he first took over. Remember the press conference, he says, we will qualify for the next World Cup. Forget 2026, you know, and get in the berth because we're hosting games. We will qualify for 2022. And I thought, man, that's uh, that's some pretty brash commentary from John Herbman. Um, I'm not sure I really believe him, but here we are now. And yeah, they, I think they will qualify for the World Cup. And what a moment that will be. And I, I just look at the schedule, you know, as I said, they, they play at home to Honduras and El Salvador. And I, I completely hear you and I agree with you. Our expectations are very high. But I also know the history of, you know, Canada playing big games, having to travel to Central America, yeah. to some of these smaller countries and coming up short. So I just wonder, you know, how important is it for these two home games against teams you should beat? You, they have to get six points out of those two yeah. teams, or at least it feels like that, right, to avoid trouble down the road. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's not call them must-wins just yet, but I'll tell you what. they're. No, I understand, up. yeah. You, you, you've got to win yeah. those games, 100%. You're right. Um, one thing about this team, as you alluded to there, yeah, they've impressed us, but we haven't seen these teams go on the road in CONCACAF just yet in the depths, the dark depths of CONCACAF when really strange things can happen because of COVID, you know, and they're not being fans in the stadium. So um, there's still that hanging over this team, but that's really, you know, looking in the past and, and how these, these teams have fared on the road in CONCACAF. This team so far, every challenge they've met, they're fine with. And these guys are playing for some pretty big teams. 
in in very large leagues um, under a lot of pressure. Perhaps they're different. You know, they've got to prove it to us still. I think they will prove it to us. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not a walk in the park. I'm not saying that for sure. But um, by all rights, from a talent standpoint, in the moment, that third berth is just waiting for them. Yeah, no, you're right. They had they've met every challenge, but I, I just have trouble shaking the ghost <laughs> of the past. But I, I agree with you. Yep, I'm optimistic that they're going to be different this time. Uh, James, just before we let you go, you mentioned earlier the Premier League gets going this weekend in England. Do you have a pick to win to finish top of the table this year? Oh boy, you know it's so hard, right? Because uh, the transfer window ends August 31st, and there's still some big moves on, on the cards here. Man City champions, you know they've they've got better with Jack Grealish arriving, and if they get Harry Kane. It's good night and sweet dreams. United have improved with, with Jaden Sancho. Chelsea have just signed Romelu Lukaku, which is terrifying. Liverpool haven't done much so far transfer-wise, apart from defensively, but you know they're going to be uh, in contention too. But a pick right now, it's boring. I apologize, but I think Man City are going to be the team to beat once again. <laughs> hey, James. Well, enjoy the footy this weekend. Enjoy Messi putting pen to paper tomorrow, finally, in Paris. And uh, we'll talk to you soon down the road. And enjoy the rest of the summer. And hopefully you'll get to go. Or you, if they allow people in the stadium, you're going to get to go and watch uh, Canada play uh, Honduras on September 2nd? Oh, yeah, I'll be there 100%. You know, I can't wait. I was there when they beat the States in that, that historic match uh, a couple of years ago now, and I'll be yeah. there again. Yeah, looking forward to that. Awesome. I'm a little jealous. Okay, enjoy the rest of your summer, James. <laughs> enjoy the football. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you, James. That was James Sharman with Footy Prime Podcast. Talking about those Canada qualifying games, Jamie, it's September 2nd in Toronto yep. and then September 8th against in Toronto against El Salvador. So Honduras first, El Salvador second, and they play the U.S. in Nashville on September 5th. That's Labor Day weekend. And they play that Nashville. Nashville plays right now in where the Tennessee Titans play. Uh, yep. Their new stadium is not set to open until 2022. It's going to be a ruckus crowd <laughs> in Nashville for that U.S. game. Canada, Toronto has not gotten the full government approval yet to have fans in for those two games against El Salvador and Honduras, but the expectation is they'll do exactly what TFC's done and they'll have some sort of fan capacity in the stadium. You certainly hope so, to to increase that, that home field advantage however we can for, for Team Canada. Yeah. You know, as I, as I kind of alluded to there with James, it feels so important to defend your home pitch, right, in yes. CONCACAF because, I mean, we all know what's happened in Honduras in the past, but even I don't think you can really count any, you know, away game as an easy one in this CONCACAF qualifying stage, right? Because, yeah, I don't know, traveling to El Salvador, who knows what kind of weird thing is going to happen? Who knows what the condition of the pitch is going to be? How rowdy the fans are going to be there? You you can never count on getting points on the road, so it feels so high stakes. And maybe I'm being a little nervous. You know, James is trying to talk me off the ledge a little bit there, and I appreciate that. But, yeah, I do feel like they have to go out and get six points in those, in those home games against uh, Honduras and El Salvador. Well, it just puts them with a foot forward, right? They're they're ahead of the game yeah. if they have those two matches. We do know the one thing, though, too, when they do head to October 7th, they head to Azteca Stadium in Mexico. There will be no fans in that game, so maybe that will be advantage wow. for the – because, of course, they were fined by yes. FIFA, uh, CONCACAF, CONCACAF, I suppose, uh, for what their fans were chanting during a game against the United States. Uh, this text came in, and it was something we were talking with James about, and he mentioned it, and – it's more of a, I'm a belief, if you 
build it, they will come. And not to not to quote Field of Dreams, but the only way a pro league women's leagues will happen in North America is if they can be profitable. Unfortunately, the people who make these decisions have decided they will not be at this time. Well, there is the NWSL that we have seen in the United States. And what James is saying is maybe not there will be a domestic league in Canada, but why can't Toronto, why can't Montreal, why can't Vancouver have, because they have MLS sides already, why can't they invest in w, uh, NWSL sides, uh, Jamie, that they can play in that league? Like an expansion of the NWSL. Yes, okay, maybe not a domestic league per se, but have teams in Canada because you saw the popularity of that women's game and the numbers that came in television-wise, and I understand it's Canada, it's Olympic gold match, but there's a reason why a 20-year-old was kicking the final kick that got Canada the gold medal. There's a reason why when you look at the players that were in the uh, the shootout for Canada, the ones who scored were 23, 20, and 22. Like, these players saw Christine Sinclair play on the television against the United States in London, and they wanted to be just like her. So why not, if you can see these players play in person, why can't you just say, I want to be like her? Like, I do think if you put the teams in these markets they will have fans come out and watch well and one of the stories of the last you know 18 months really of covid has been as a lot of other sports have struggled to maintain ratings ratings for women's sports have skyrocketed have been stronger yes. than ever and you know i think the texture makes a really good point right is it always whenever we start talking about establishing new leagues or investing more people always stand up and say well it's not profitable but that's not necessarily backed up by the numbers and there's a really yes. interesting storyline happening south of the border with the NCAA basketball tournaments, right? Where people are starting to look at the women's side and saying, the NCAA is leaving tons of money on the table mm -hmm. by not doing a better job of promoting and featuring the women's tournament and instead investing all the resources into the men's tournament. So I agree. At a certain point, you just ha you have to believe what the evidence is telling you. And the evidence is telling you is that there is a large and growing market for professional, for high-level high women's sports. And you're right, and James Sharman is right. The fact that the Vancouver Whitecaps, Montreal, Toronto don't have women's clubs is pretty shocking at this point. They're supposed to be the three biggest, most talented clubs for soccer in Canada. They have to find a way to get involved and start supporting the women's game. Yeah, we'll see how this story progresses down the road. Uh, one of the stories we're going to look at next, though, as we flip to the third hour of our show, Jamie, is a little NFL football because one of the more intriguing divisions, at least to me, in the NFL this season is the AFC North. They had three playoff teams last year. The Steelers won the division. The Ravens and Browns secured two of the three wildcard spots. And there are some questions in Baltimore about Lamar Jackson. He's currently unvaccinated. And, Jamie, he just tested positive for the second time in nine months for COVID-19. He had bad symptoms once again. He's recovered. He's back on the football field. But this could have lasting consequences, as we've talked about with Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> down, down the road just because of all the NFL implications of if you're vaccinated or if you're not. But we're going to head to Baltimore next. We're going to look at the Baltimore Ravens specifically and the NF or the AFC North Division. That is coming up next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul.